0: Oaken the Bird Show. Happy
1: New Year. I
0: was going to say in 2023, but okay, that works too.
1: (laughs) Somebody's got to be excited about putting 2022 behind us.
0: Well, I'm, well, let's see. I mean, going from 2020 to 21 wasn't great. 21 to 22 was a bit better. So I'm hoping that 22 to 23 is, is a bigger improvement.
1: You're thinking we're on the upward swing here.
0: That's my hope. Well,
1: you know, since we are a Formula One podcast and not a world politics podcast.
0: I wasn't going into any of that.
1: My hope would be that 23 will be a much better year for my friends at Mercedes.
0: Yeah, and, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But there is... You know, a lot of question about whether or not Mercedes can avoid the slump that we saw Ferrari do many years ago and it's taken them almost 20 years to break out of. We saw Red Bull go into and it took them, what, five and a half, five or six years to break out of. So hopefully Mercedes can avoid it. We're going to see in a couple of months, but we'll talk about that in a bit because there's other things that have happened in the very long time that we've been gone. Okay. For a bunch of reasons.
1: Well, the holidays, holidays is,
0: is <laughs> probably the bigger one. Um, you you were doing some traveling too again.
1: But we had a show after my travel. No, we did. We had the prediction wrap-up
0: show. We had that one. And that was it. And then you traveled again. Yes. And then you came back and we were like, well, there's really nothing to talk about.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. There
0: there, there was a bit of a, So our last show went up December 12th.
1: Okay. So
0: we didn't do a show the 19th because there was nothing to talk about.
1: Right. But I stopped traveling solo the first weekend in December. Okay. So when I say I, we did a show since I stopped traveling, yes, true statement. We did our prediction wrap-up show and then the holidays hit.
0: Okay. So the day that we posted, well actually when, when we last spoke. <laughs> pretty much literally when we last spoke. When, when we last spoke, we were talking about how it would look to be pretty much a done deal. That Frederick Vasseur was headed to Ferrari. Correct. Um, we knew that Mattia Binotto had submitted his resignation, effective at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. He was not fired. He submitted his resignation or encouraged to submit his resignation. Yes. Um, and the rumors were pointing to Frederick Vasseur moving over there. So the day we went and posted the show, dominoes started falling. The first one, actually kind of unrelated, was an announcement from Williams, of all places. That Frederick Vassura was not going to Williams. Um, True, but they were hanging the help wanted sign. As Yas Capito was announced to be departing the team as team principal.
1: I was a little surprised
0: by that. I was a lot surprised by that. Um, You know, two years over there and... While the team has not seen the great improvement that we hoped, they didn't seem to be as lost in the woods as they had been in previous years. I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw some points again. We Still not a great finish, but we saw some points again. We saw some, some strength in there. I think bringing Alex Albin into the team was a very good move for them. Um not sure about Logan Sargent next year. Um, I mean, granted. He's I, unproven. He's new. He'll be a rookie. I mean, I, th- I think he'll be better than Nick Latifi. But I don't know. But nobody
1: well, knows because. Latifi
0: ran his course. Let's put that's it that
1: a, way. That's the problem is you had to replace <clears throat> Latifi. He was done. And they got the best they could get, I guess, for right now. I mean, yeah. I don't think Daniel Ricciardo was going to go to Williams.
0: Uh, yeah. So or at least not not at a price that Williams would be willing to pay. Let's right. put it that way. Right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with the team. Um, there there's a part of me that kind of wonders if and and it would be interesting to see how it played out if Doral if yas's departure means that Doralton capital is getting ready to end their time in formula one
1: well then what happens to williams uh,
0: i think the team goes up for sale mm-hmm. okay so so think about this and and maybe this becomes my my big prediction is that williams goes up for sale and andretti tries to buy 'Cause I don't think that F one is and yeah, I, I just I don't think that F one is going to allow another team. Um, at least I don't think they're going to allow the Andrettis to bring in another team. I think if Porsche came to them and said, Yep, we're we we want to go all out and start our own team, that F one would say yes to that, which is kinda hypocritical. Mm-hmm. But I think they, they would be more open to Porsche saying that they want to bring a team in than Andretti saying that they want to bring a team in.
1: Interesting. Though, so, from the marketing PR side of it, the concept of Andretti taking over Williams is not a bad thought. I mean, you can think about the PR. It's a family I mean, it team. It's a
0: family team. Yeah,
1: it was a family team. It's it's still a family team. Just a different family. Racing Heritage, I mean, you've got a PR goldmine right there.
0: You do, but then it also makes you wonder what happens to the future of the Williams name.
1: Right. Well, it would become something like (coughs) Williams Andretti, or Andretti Williams, or something
0: like that. Yeah, and that may be what they do, you know.
1: See, that wasn't where I thought you were going. If you were going to think about wild-ass theories... Okay. That wasn't where I thought you were going. I was thinking the brother would buy it. Claire's brother
0: I don't think so
1: I don't know if he's got the capital or if that's I don't even know if it, he's got
0: the interest
1: but he worked in the team and Claire always hinted that there was um animosity that he did not get the team
0: yeah I, I think the big question is capital and equity mm-hmm. um I don't know from what it sounded like it didn't sound like the brother, and I don't recall his name, got the same amount of equity in the organization that Claire did. Right. And I don't know how that was impacted when she sold off the team to Doralton. And that could have a big impact. But the other piece of that is we also know that Toto Wolf was a big proponent and supporter of Claire taking over that team not the brother mm-hmm. and I don't think that the brother ever had that level of support from Toto
1: also true so it was just you know I went under the mm-hmm. wild ass theories
0: Um. so that happened then we got a few hours after that the next domino and this really was the domino, was the official announcement that Frederick Vasseur would be joining Ferrari as their new team principal, followed short... Well, actually, first it was, it was the official announcement that he was leaving Sauber. Mm-hmm. So that comes out. Then the Ferrari announcement comes out. Then, out of nowhere, and this sent my head spinning was the announcement from McLaren that Andreas Seidel was departing the team with immediate effect to pursue other opportunities, followed not long after that by the announcement from Sauber that Andreas Seidel was joining the team as their new team principal.
1: <laughs> There's your new opportunities. <laughs> Those four, four, uh-huh. four dominoes, <clears throat> all falling in rapid succession. It's like somebody learned the whole, like, let's do this in order mm-hmm. from all of the chaos with the driver announcements over the year. Somebody was like, okay, wait a minute. Ferrari's going to announce, and then <laughs> this well, is going to happen, and then this <clears throat> is going to happen, and
0: we're going to do this in order. You know, we've seen it happen before. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I find it fascinating when it happens correctly like this and, and and we've seen these announcements happen um sometimes they get folks get ahead of themselves
1: mm-hmm. they get excited somebody leaks
0: yeah um looking over it <coughs> at alpine mm-hmm. and specific around that for screwing up one of those announcements but when they happen like this as synchronized like this it is kind of fascinating it is now What also came out a few hours later was the move by Andreas Seidel, while it happened faster than planned, has been planned for a while. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Audi had decided quite a while ago that they wanted Andreas to lead their return to Formula One and to come to, to the new team, the Audi Salber, whatever we're going to call it. We don't know yet. Um, organization and lead it as the team principal. Because Frederick Vasseur left early to go to, to Ferrari, that went and changed the timetables.
1: And I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, honestly, Seidel not having to go on gardening leave because at some point yeah. McLaren was going to want him out of their stuff so that there was a good break. So you might as well
0: so now mclaren has in the same announcement that they announced andreas was leaving they announced that andreas stella would be promoted to the new team boss um he's been in the organization for quite a while basically as the number two um so this was just a natural move to to, to slide him up into the position
1: And if they used initials, they didn't have to change letterheads.
0: Well, there's that too. I mean, that's important. Well, it's not so much the letterheads. It's the labels that they put on the headphones so that you grab the right ones.
1: So AS is AS. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the one, everything, all the shirts that just read Andreas, right Mm -hmm. over, they slid all of those over. Well, it's Andrea,
0: not Andreas. Oh, okay. So they have to take the ass off.
1: Oh, well, some some marketing (laughs) weenie is having to (laughs) unpick that embroidery. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But in terms of like the, the names on the seats, they don't need to shift any of that stuff. It's just, you know, now you get to sit over here and, and you get your name on the seat where before it was just number two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The other news that that came about in terms of movements, again, not hugely surprising, at least not as much as Andrea Seidel leaving and, and Peto leaving. Um, Mercedes has signed Mick Schumacher, As their reserve driver. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, Toto had made several comments, and I think we had talked about it, um, when Hassett announced that they were releasing Mick, um, Toto had made several comments that he thought that that was a missed opportunity and uh, an inappropriate loss of talent. Mm -hmm. So the thought that he would go and make this gesture to keep Mick involved in Formula One, not a huge surprise.
1: No. I hope he has a nice. He gets some time to regroup, and get an opportunity to show what talent he really has. I mean, I know there's a lot of buzz around it, but it's we've already seen that the Schumacher name is not a guarantee for another win or another stellar career. But he's Michael's son, so you're kind of hoping. Well,
0: honestly, what Mike what I think happened my theory, is that, you know, he was part of the Ferrari Young Driver Program, and they've announced that he's been released from that program as well, and put in Haas. What I question is whether or not Haas ever provided the true development opportunity that it should have been. Mm. You know, and that's and, and not to not... Gunther so much um, but really in terms of the true expertise on that team you had Gunther. Right. You know so much and and I know that they've hired a lot of engineering folks from from other parts of Formula 1 and there was some level of of expertise there but the other driver that he, he was paired with up until this past year with Kevin with Nikita was A. another rookie and B. not a good one. Right. So, you know, in in terms of benchmarking him, you were benchmarking him against trash. And in terms of what Mick could learn from his teammate, until he had Kevin in there next to him, he didn't have experience and expertise next to him to learn from. Exactly. So in terms of providing feedback, in terms of helping to set up the car and do all the balance, that stuff he wasn't getting the guidance as a rookie that some of these other drivers and other teams have gotten. And I think that hurt a lot. And I think being able to bring him into Mercedes where there is a lot of that experience there and a lot of that expertise and a lot of folks who have been in Formula One for a very long time and have worked with very strong drivers that hopefully they can give him that guidance that was lacking over at Haas and potentially be the be that opportunity.
1: That would be awesome. That would be very good for him
0: and And my guess is Mercedes is going to hand him a couple of free practice one sessions so that they can help shop him around for next year.
1: Mm-hmm. be the hope.
0: Yeah. um you know, now that the season's over, Teams are...
1: Self-review time.
0: And and I, you know, we did that years ago. We went through and we highlighted all the self-reviews. I haven't really done that. Mm. Um, Maybe we'll do that for next year, at the end of the season. Actually, you know, we'll target mid-season break.
1: Oh, mid-season reviews.
0: Yeah, we'll do mid-season reviews from the drivers based on their their self-reviews that they've submitted. And then we'll aim to do it at the end of the season next year. Okay. So...
1: Whoa, that's advanced planning. Are we sure we're okay? Well, we'll probably
0: forget. <laughs> um, but we're hearing from the teams as they're, you know, recognizing some of the mistakes that they made around this season and things that they need to fix. Um, Alpine's been one of the big ones. You know, it's part of the reason why Fernando left has been the unreliability of that. And honestly, it's been an ongoing issue for Renault for since what, 2014, Mm -hmm. and the shift over to the turbo hybrid era. By Fernando's estimate, and I don't think he's that far off, the car failed to finish in something like 15 races this year. Wow. Or this past year, which means about half the races, they didn't score points or they gave up points that they shouldn't have due to reliability issues. So the team has been taking a look and trying to figure out what they can do to improve reliability. They don't think the problem is with the powertrain. Hmm. Um, Where they think it is is the auxiliary systems. And the big culprit that they're saying that they have revamped to address the issue is the water pump. So the hope is that this new water pump will be a bit more robust. And maybe we'll see Alpine be a bit more promising
1: interesting so that that's the goal a water pump could take down a Formula One team but you
0: well know. they were talking about the water pump they think it, it was the one that gave them the most problems and it's one of those things that if that goes out they lose water pressure they lose their coolant right they lose some of the other you know important components but it was other auxiliary systems that were causing them problems as well the electronics you know they had a, a full blackout on more than one occasion in that car they've looked at that stuff too but it's the water pump that they have keyed is probably their biggest problem that they've completely revamped.
1: You don't think they used Lucas Electrics in that car, do you?
0: Um, no.
1: Okay. Just, you know,
0: check it. No, but they, they may have had it, maybe they bought some stuff from Citroën and had the funky weird plugs that they had to just ram in there because they didn't fit anything else that was made by anybody in the world or even, oh, (laughs) Citroën. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Steering wheel is shaped like a banana, and yeah. Oh, that was a know, gear
1: shift that was shaped oh, yeah, like a banana. Mm,
0: yeah. Um, McLaren has come out and said that a lot of their problem has been the shift to the 18-inch tires.
1: Did they not use the right yardstick to measure for 18-inch tires?
0: In, it, well, I, I think it was that they didn't fully expect the tires to behave the way they did. Um and at the larger size had more of an impact on the suspension than they expected mm. and had a bigger impact. The, the way the tires behaved under load, they didn't fully expect. Um, and Atlando Lando clearly was able to cope with it a bit better than Daniel was. Um, but they say that they have learned a lot and they are making changes to the design tool. And they've also been very quick to point out that the struggles that they've had, as bad as they had them with the tires, everybody else had the same struggles. Right. They just struggled with it more than everybody else. But it, it was the same characteristics that were causing problems with the other teams was causing problems with them too. It was magnified with them. Again, they think they've un- they understand it. And they've sorted it out. We'll know in a couple months.
1: We'll find out. That's always the fun part about this <clears throat> offseason. Is. You know. They go back and they look at what could. You know. They do what coulda should have. About the mm-hmm. past year. And they. They start to patch. And. It, it's. It's that realization. That F1 is <clears throat> not. Uh, revolutionary. It is not one big part. It's not one big thing. That takes down a car it's sometimes it's the culmination of five things and a tweak here has an impact there and it's it's all of those moving parts Mm -hmm. um but it's all of that and it's it's tweaking for fractions of a second in one area and hoping that you're not going to lose it in another area um it's fascinating to me but Come the spring, we'll know if all of those tweaks sum up to greater than last year. That's what we keep hoping for. But that's kind of the mystery of
0: this off season to me. And you know that balance that you just mentioned—that's what we're going to talk about next because that's what Mercedes.
1: Did I just like unexpectedly do a right segue?
0: A little early, but yeah, because <laughs> Mercedes has also, you know, they're acknowledging their struggles and, and and basically what they've identified right from the beginning was that there was a baked in flaw to this design that they just could not get around. And, really? it, and, and they will not say specifically what that flaw was. They've oh. avoided that, but we do have a better understanding of why they've had the challenges that they've had and, and how they work through it. Apparently, on the very first day that Lewis Hamilton drove the car on a filming day so this wasn't even this was before preseason testing in Barcelona they had a filming day up at Silverstone, and the the team acknowledges that a it was a filming day and B they couldn't get good data out of it because there was also um, a storm rolling through. It was one of the the named winter storms because the British like to name the winter storms. Um, It was one of the, the name winter storms that came through and that impacted how they handled the car. They raised it up higher than they needed to. But Lewis says apparently said after turning the first couple of laps in that car in the filming day that this car did not work. And that he identified right from the beginning that this was not going to be a good season and that the design was not there. Wow. Um now, we, again, like with a lot of teams, first time that they had to deal with the porpoising, and we know where the cause of the porpoising was. And we started to see it first in Barcelona, but Barcelona, they ran more of a traditional design. Where it was different was, I guess, the even though we had the traditional side pods that we saw with everybody else, there were, the car was running a larger floor. It was running a larger floor as the precursor to the, zero side pod design that they actually went with the zero side pod design by default required the bigger floor Mm. the bigger floor and, and triggered the initial problems with porpoising now a reminder what the porpoising was and it was what they wanted to do with the ground effects to begin with was as the car goes faster the aerodynamics and the ground effect sucks the car closer to the track giving you better traction they want that obviously you don't want to get too close because you can't wear off the skid blocks but where they found and this has been an issue with and everybody forgot about it but it's been an issue with ground effect cars before is that you get that point where the aerodynamics work they suck the car down to the track but then all of a sudden because the car gets sucked down the way that the air moves everything stalls, you lose the suction, the car pops back up again. Mm. And then it gets sucked back down because the ride height went up, the aerodynamics are working, and you bounce up and down and back
1: and forth. You're riding the edge of aerodynamic working.
0: Right. So the goal is to turn around is once that car gets sucked down, and you know you could see that in a lot of tracks, especially with the Mercedes. You'd see the whole car squat down under speed. But that goal was to get the car to squat down and stay there
1: hmm
0: when you do that you don't have the porpoising so the initial design that mercedes was struggling because that floor was so big thanks to the zero side pod design the floor was flexing causing the stall causing the bouncing that's why we saw the extra stays come in we, the conversation about floor stiffness and and keeping it all from you know as rigid as it needs to be So that was problem number one. Problem number two that you had on top of it is that Mercedes in particular ran a suspension that was very stiff. So they sorted out the aerodynamic issues in Barcelona. Then they went to Baku where it's super bumpy. And you had the stiff suspension and it started everything all over again. Mm -hmm. So there was that issue. But then they would run into where they would get things sorted out or the the, the the porpoising would get so bad, it would compress because the suspension was as stiff as it was, it would compress the tires. So now when the stalling would happen and the car would r- lift up, you had the added push of not just the suspension and, and the aerodynamics lifting, but the tires uncompressing and bouncing the car. Oh my. Yeah. That takes away the driver's confidence, and then they had issues where it would happen in some turns and not others, and it just compounded things. Mm. And as th- the answer that Mercedes was having to try and get more stability into the car was to make the car draggier, right? Because you needed to add the bits to hold things down, and as the car got draggier, it got slower. Mm. And it was just the cycle that got worse. Now, they did slowly start to figure it out. The initial estimates at the start of the season was that the car was eight tenths down. Um, by the end of the season and by the time we got to Brazil, uh, they believed that the car was probably closer to between four and six tenths down. Which, I mean, not great,
1: but better. They closed the gap by fifty percent.
0: They did. Um, that's still a big gap. But you also you got to remember that Red Bull and in, in the years that Sebastian Vettel won his title, they were also a couple of tenths down. Mm-hmm. It was because the car handled better in the low speed corners that gave Seb the advantage to be able to to, to win the titles those years. I don't think that was ever the plan with the Mercedes, but that's why. They don't necessarily have to have the fastest car if it handles better.
1: Right. Well, and that's always been Red Bull's approach is we may not have it in speed, but we have it, we'll we'll get the speed back in the corners because we can take those corners faster. Um, So, And that's also, it's one of those other teeter-totter decisions that designers have to make. Yes. Is it going to be fast in the corners or fast in the straight line? Because you don't typically get both. Mm -hmm. And... You know, you've got to make that decision. You've got to make a decision about, um, you know, how much, you, how much the aerodynamics affect and what the downstream of those are. Those are all key decisions that get made early on. And the more they make those decisions, the more they have to then deal with the effects of those decisions.
0: Now, if you're thinking to yourself, but, you know, we saw the car do really well in Mexico City. You know, if it was so draggy, why did it work so well in Mexico City? Thinner air. There you go. That reduced the 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 losses that they saw from the the added aerodynamic bits that they put on the car in Austin, and and the car was stronger in Austin, mm-hmm. and definitely saw that in Brazil. In Brazil, I think a lot of the reason why the car did as well, um, it's not quite as tight as say a Monaco. Um. But the speeds aren't as high, and I think it was that combination that worked well for them.
1: Yeah, that it's fascinating, really. Um, you know, you remember when we first started watching Formula One? It was McLaren, I think, that made a decision on the difference between push pushrod suspension and pull rod.
0: It was 2013 that that happened,
1: and they were the only ones that made whatever mm-hmm. one was the bad. Everybody
0: one. else had abandoned it.
1: Yes. But they were they were doubling down into it and it was that one decision that they never could recover from they could not engineer their way out of that decision the next year they reversed that single mm-hmm. suspension decision and all of a sudden all the other parts started to fall into place for them so that is my hope you know if that's the resolution i'm giving to mercedes (laughs) this year that's your goal guys is to fix whatever that decision was so that you can deal with your fatal flaw and all your downstream answers will be better for it
0: yeah um so what we know today already has happened because this past year and, and maybe that was the other problem is is last year's car was the w13 oh so the engine for the w14 has already been started yay it, it has run its first notes mm-hmm. um we don't know how it looks power wise but it's that is to life that that is step one the hope is that you know step two is the new car whatever the design is that You know, they are not so far behind that they can recover, that they can redesign. You know, I I think that's the big question is, what are we going to see from Mercedes in 2014 or 2023? Mm -hmm. Are we going to see a revisit of the zero side pod design or are they going to go a more traditional route and possibly recover what they need to? I
1: don't know. We shall see. But, you know, it's still early days in 2023. Yeah, I'm we do sure know what that the cars we... look like. Right. <clears throat> I'm sure we're not going to know that for a while, right?
0: Well, we're going to actually start to know. Well, we're going to get our first glimpses of what the cars look like in about a month.
1: They're going to start having unveilings and drivers sitting on tires?
0: Yes, so Aston Martin, uh, ha- was the first team to announce their car reveal. Oh, the AMR twenty three. I'm 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 good with AMR. It makes better sense than, than VJM. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, um, the AMR twenty three will be unveiled in a live event from Aston Martin Silverstone uh, facility on February thirteenth. Okay. Um be a small audience that will be invited there and broadcast across its digital channels.
1: So, should we be watching the mail for our invitation? Sure. Okay. Uh,
0: I'll I'll reach out to Lawrence who I'm sure will well, never see it cuz it's going to go right into the into his junk email
1: box. I'm not I'm not saying that you're not special, but didn't Lance send you a personalized birthday message this year?
0: Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> that that was really weird because I, I don't think we've ever said a nice thing about him. So, um, okay. But it was a video
1: <laughs> message wishing you a happy, happy birthday.
0: Yeah. That he posted on YouTube.
1: Well, he seemed very sincere about it. Yeah.
0: Oh, definitely sincere. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, So after Aston Martin... Ferrari has announced the launch date of what they are currently calling Project Number Six Seven Five.
1: Six Seven
0: Five. That's that's the working name.
1: Oh, okay. We're gonna have a better name soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're gonna. It'll probably be the SF something or other. Um, but but right now it is Project Six Seven Five. Um, that will be revealed to the world on February Fourteenth. Now keep in mind that um, preseason testing doesn't start until February 23rd. So these are our first super early reveals and quite likely may just be livery reveals, mm-hmm. not the actual car design. Um, and that's definitely what's happening over with AlphaTori. And and um Ferrari's reveal, they didn't say where they're revealing it from. Oh, yeah. They didn't say where they're revealing it from. It's a secret. Yeah, it's a secret. Um, Alpha Tori, however, they sent out a save the date letter.
1: They did. That was so sweet of them.
0: Now, they have confirmed it is just a livery reveal. Um, February 11th in New York City. Wow. Yeah.
1: I mean, we got that. We should be have VIP invites, right?
0: Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you'll you need to reach out to Franz Toast about that.
1: Well, I think I'm on the outs list considering I confused him with Frederick Fraser the other day. Yeah, that was,
0: <laughs> you probably screwed that up for us there. Yeah. Very strongly. That's, that's why we're not invited to the Ferrari one.
1: Oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely not going to be invited to lunch over at the Montana restaurant. Just not happening. Alrighty. Um So that's what we got for reveals. There's been some new rules that can't, that have been... Well, actually, some changes to the FIA Sporting Code. Yeah. Oh. Interestingly enough, these changes were announced during the World Cup. Interesting. Why that seems to matter is because... Um, An updated version of the Sporting Code, in particular Article 12.2.1N, states that drivers will be deemed to have committed a breach of the rules if they show, quote, the general making and display of political, religious, and personal statements or comments, notably in violation of the general principle of neutrality, Promoted by the FIA under its statutes unless previously approved in writing by the FIA for international competitors or by the relevant automotive sport, well, ASN for national competitions within their jurisdiction. So what does that mean, you may be wondering?
1: I was definitely wondering that.
0: What it means is that, you know, if Lewis Hamilton wants to wear a t-shirt, bearing a social political message if he does not have prior approval from the FIA he cannot do it
1: probably also means that the things that Sebastian vettel did in thing in areas like Saudi Arabia
0: Saudi Arabia and even Canada um you know he wore a shirt in Canada uh, making a statement about mining the tar sands mm-hmm And had something on his sticker, or a sticker on his helmet, that was removed around that uh, prior to the race. It is that kind of stuff. Now, the FIA says that the reason why that they're doing this is to bring themselves more in line with the IOC's sporting codes and sporting requirements. Um, And also, here we go with the um fifa's requirements and sporting Uh. requirements yeah that's why the timing's kind of interesting yeah now the fia or or excuse me the the ioc again takes a fairly hard stance on neutrality and, and that they are promoting sport and that is all that they're doing but obviously the IOC has been used as a political tool on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of questionable. But of course, the other, really what I wonder is if what's driving this isn't the IOC. It's more the fact that Mohammed bin Salim doesn't appreciate getting nasty calls from the Saudi government.
1: That would be my guess, because I really think this is in reaction to some of the new tracks that they have been putting in, Mm -hmm. in areas that have questionable uh, human rights track records. And, you know, with the backlash that happened in Qatar over the World Cup, that's Mm -hmm. where the interesting timeline happens. However, I I have to say this in my out loud voice. I find it interesting is not the right word disturbing that when we ended we race as one
0: mm-hmm.
1: that one of the statements that came out from that was that the FIA and Formula One seeks to improve the areas in which they race and that that's one of the that that's part of their altruistic nature is to improve mm-hmm. the human rights, uh, conditions in the areas that they race, and that they have that opportunity to shed light on that. That's an interesting juxtaposition. To you have to get all of your political statements pre-approved.
0: Yes, I. Well, <laughs> and, and and it goes to the bigger question that F one's been accused of for for many years of this idea of sport washing of Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna come in and help these repressive regimes shine a light on themselves in as positive a manner as possible because they're writing us a big check while at the same time saying that we're trying to make the world a better place and it, it it just
1: i know Right
0: and and formula 1 has has always been bad at that and and
1: well it's been bad at that quite frankly because it's the sport of playboys it's the sport of very very wealthy people and and it will and and it has it will always, always be
0: that way well it, it it's not just that but but it, it has always chased the check
1: yes and that's what happens mm-hmm. but the world of the very wealthy do not see the same level of human rights violations and oppressions that the people that are oppressed and violated see they live. I mean, it's, it's not an, it's not an incorrect statement that says that world lives in a different
0: world. Yes. But I think we, I think we had started to see to some extent That diminish a bit when Bernie left.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, Bernie was very quick to embrace the dictators. You know, he was very quick to embrace Putin and and to to turn a blind eye because Bernie's own personal attitude was kind of in agreement with a lot of that stuff. Exactly. No matter what he says, it was kind of in agreement with a lot of that stuff. When Liberty came in, we seem to have drifted away from it a bit. And it was an admirable move by, by Liberty and by F1 to strongly back away from Russia. But they're still embracing the Middle East. They're still embracing all of these. I mean, going to Qatar with the amount of money that was thrown at them and going to Saudi Arabia with the amount of money that was thrown at them. And there are other tracks that they could have done quite well. Mm-hmm. And, hey, let, let's face it. It would have made a very strong and, I think, positive statement at this point if instead of going to Qatar, they had elected to go to South Africa
1: yeah.
0: and, and gone to race in Kyalami. It would have sent a very different statement. It would have. So, other news. mm mm-hmm. um, little more info around the ideas behind wheel arches and wet races. So where we were concerned was, you know, they would turn around and say, all right, if you need to run full wets, you've got to slap the, the the wheel arches on, um, or, or even just enters and in, in, in wet conditions in general, you need to slap these on. And it would take a bit of time to do it. So they've acknowledged that, yes, it would take a bit of time to do this, but they're looking at specific conditions that might only happen three races a year. So I'm kind of thinking that what might trigger this is, you know, we've seen a lot of races where they've red flagged due to low visibility. Mm -hmm. Possibly that's what happens is that they red flag. they, They don't feel that the visibility is well enough to run without them. They're... The race would be stopped to do the fitting, as opposed to mid race. Let's let's switch to enters and slap the fins on, and and that becomes the, the calculation of if we can avoid slapping the fins on. You know, let's stay out on slicks and and and
1: and be more risky. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that would have to be a case where everybody has to go to enters and or wets, mm-hmm. and everybody has to have wheel arches, and we red flag it so that everybody's on that same thing at the same time.
0: I think, though, the big key that would have to go with that because, you know, we see the changing conditions is that once you fit them... You leave them. Right. So even if you go to Slicks, you still have them, you still have them on the car. hmm So we talked... I don't remember if it was the last show or the show before that, the new F1 Driving Academy. Yeah. The series specifically for women. So we're getting more info about it. Um, the, the series will run at the Formula 4 level, which, honestly, I think is a little lower than I expected. Yeah. I thought it was going to be around F3. We knew it wasn't going to be at the F2 level. Um, but it's going to run at the the Formula 4 level. Um, there will be seven events, each featuring three races, um, and will be a total of 15 days of official testing to help the drivers gain experience. Um, the majority of the rounds, and this I thought was a little surprising, will not take place during F1 weekends. Interesting. Um, it is anticipated that one will be a support race for a Grand Prix, but the majority of them will not be. Um, we also know the teams that are going to provide cars for the uh, for the series. Um, Art Grand Prix, Campos Racing, Carlin, MP Motorsport, and Prima Racing. Um, and these are all teams that have a strong presence in the Junior Series. So they've got experience in growing and developing drivers. So I think that's promising too.
1: That is promising. I'm, I'm excited to see that people that grow and develop drivers are looking to grow and develop women.
0: In engine news, well, I actually, I don't even know if this is engine news. Um, but the latest rumor that has come out around partnerships and... All I can say is they're coming from sources. I do not know how reliable these sources are, but um, some of our more, more mainstream outlets have been reporting on this, is that Red Bull and Ford are in talks for a partnership.
1: That would be interesting.
0: I think it's very interesting. Now, what it sounds like, and, and you know, we, we, we've talked about this before, that, that Ford is no stranger to Formula One. No. Um, they spent quite a few years in it their their last time that they were in formula one um was basically through the jaguar team that ultimately got sold to become red bull um they've branded cosworth engines with with ford on there um they've had some very strong success over the years in formula one what this sounds like is not a constructor return. Mm. Um, what it sounds like is a branding and marketing exercise. Ah. Um, It does not sound at this point like Ford really has an interest to do any significant technical partnership. Although word is that Ford has offered up as part of the deal that if there are areas that Ford is strong in, that they would be willing to provide some level of expertise, but they don't want to build or develop an engine. Okay. Um, really this seems like a marketing and branding exercise. Should it happen? Um, we shall see. Uh, Christian Horner says that Red Bull remains committed to building their own engine and building their own powertrain. Um, but also just as interesting, already submitted for the 2026 season, just like Audi has submitted for the 2026 season, Honda has submitted an application as an engine constructor.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um. There is some key differences between this potential partnership with Ford and with Red Bull than what we saw with the potential partnership around Porsche, the biggest being that um, Ford's not asking for any equity. They're not asking for any kind of stake in the organization. This really does seem like a marketing, which kind of makes sense. Um, Ford's also no stranger to Red Bull. Uh, The WRC team uh, apparently is running Ford cars. Ah. So there is already a relationship there.
1: Interesting. It would be an interesting, I mean, again, I go back to what is the PR and the marketing piece of the puzzle, and you could definitely see that there.
0: Our last story, we thought it was gone. It might still be gone. Um, But word coming out of China is that the organizers of the Chinese Grand Prix are trying to get the race put back on the calendar. Wow. Um, Now that China has lifted their zero COVID restrictions, uh, the Chinese government and various organizers within China uh, are working to get all kinds of events brought back. Um, So apparently just before New Year's, there were initial conversations um, between the organizers and the FIA in Formula One. Nothing's been decided. They're saying that they are expecting... Uh, more formal negotiations after the new year given the spot on the calendar they've got about three weeks to figure this out um, they need to have an agreement in place before the end of January um, in w- just to, to hit the, time, the, the planned timelines for logistics um, because the lead times as such, the end of January is when stuff would get shipped out to Asia for the China race that's true so we shall see what happens but there might still be a chance. we might still have a 24 race season this year I doubt it we'll see
1: I doubt it and on that note
0: we'll call it a show